And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 137. Glad to have you, as always. And we are also glad to have with us everyone's favorite uh, co-host, Eno Saris. Eno, say hello. I'm not Eno. I'm back from the dead. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, everybody, welcome back. Give a hearty welcome to Mr. Jason Collette. Jason, how are you doing today? It is very, very nice to have you back on the program. Yeah, it's glad to be able to, uh, good thing I can talk baseball again, take a break from unpacking all these boxes here in the Charlotte area. Moving's fun, but apparently I packed the heat and humidity from Orlando, as well as the hurricanes from Florida, because it's 96 today, and a hurricane's bearing down on Wilmington, North Carolina. Thankfully, I'm three hours away from there, but uh, it feels like I haven't left Florida yet. <laughs> I do not envy those who are on the East Coast uh, for a good portion of the year, so... Yeah, uh, I hope your move goes well, uh, but I don't think you're going to have a whole, as much luck with the weather. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are, and since you don't want to talk about that stuff anymore, we do have a number of uh, interesting baseball topics, as always, to get into. And we can start with everyone's favorite. We always love talking about closers and bullpens and all that other crap that goes along with all the, this being called crap. Um, we want to start with Arizona. Kirk Gibson gave kind of the, uh, the repeated off-repeated vote of confidence Addison Reed said this is the guy he's sticking with I think this primarily comes from uh, a blown save that he took when he inherited a couple of runners a couple of nights ago and allowed both of them to score but also gave up a walk-off hit uh, after that and uh, I mean he's he's had a rough go of it we know that home runs uh, are always kind of a potential problem with him because of the fly ball issue and now this is his second straight kind of bad hitters ballpark to be in although this one's not quite as bad as uh, the cell was I mean, is there anything to worry about here? I guess like to w- the way I see it is, you know, Reed is probably going to be the guy in part because this is who they traded for. Uh, and also in part because there's just not to me, there's not a lot of exciting options in Arizona otherwise. It doesn't matter. They suck. I mean, they're, they're the worst team in baseball. And we're talking about a save a week, basically. Uh, so what they really do from here on out, even if, if Reed is the full time closer the rest of the way. He gets 12 saves. I know that's going to matter in some leagues, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still a bad baseball team. And when you look at Reed, I was a little bit wrong on this, but I didn't think he would have, you know, uh, whatever that field's called these days, Bank One Ballpark, Chase Field, whatever they got. I don't even keep track of the damn stadium names. But I, I thought there would be a little bit of an issue for him, but I thought it would be neutral because he was coming from a park that was already a problem for him. And here, and the problem now is his home run to fly ball rate has tripled from last year. You know, 6.9 to 19.5% coming in. I know, don't get on me for my math, so it's almost tripled. Uh, <laughs> but that that's where he's at with that. And eight home runs already, he allowed six all of last season. So to me, that's, that's really the problem. That should level out a little bit because the strikeout rate is better than it was last year. The walk rate is lower than it was last year. Everything else looks good. It's just that the fly balls are carrying a little further for him, and, and that's ultimately what's doing him in here. Other than that, I take this guy as my closer still. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't see them making a change. I think the things that stood out, stand out to me. I don't know if they're concerns, but the things that stand out to me are. Uh, I mean, he's he's used fastball a lot more often, and uh, I mean, about three quarters of his pitches are fastball. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but he's he's basically not used the changeup. 
Uh, does he? I mean, he doesn't really use anything breaking or off speed that often anymore. And uh, the the infield fly ball rate is also it's kind of trip. Um, it's been reduced to about one third of what it was last season. He seemed to have. I don't know if that was luck or if that was a skill of his uh, that he seemed to induce quite a bit of those last year. And, and, and there's not really a solid track record of it, combined with the fact that his pitch mix has been a little different. Uh, I think it's I think it's kind of hard to say. Is this something that he's doing um, that is just going to level out? Or I mean, I, I would be optimistic because anybody who gives up more than two home runs per nine innings, I don't think that they can have that bad of luck for such a long string. But I, I do wonder if there's not something that he's doing differently that also kind of pushes him in that direction. And it doesn't make sense, like you said, the, the strikeout rate and the walk rate are really good. Like he shouldn't be, uh, he shouldn't be struggling with a great deal of other things like that. I think. Right, and what when I look at it to see what's going on with him, you look you look at his overall numbers, and one of the things that kind of stands out is that he's throwing a fewer percentage of pitches in the zone. It's not because he's ahead in the count; it's because he's been behind in the count more often than he was in the past. And then you flip over and say, okay, what are his numbers in hitters counts? And they're rough. I mean, he's allowed four of his four of his eight home runs in counts where the batters have the advantage. And that's what we've, uh, you know, you and I have talked about it. You know, and I have talked about talked about it in the past. The way you know, baseball is set up to fail. When the pitcher has the advantage from pitch one, and every ball they throw, and if it's not if it's a ball and not a strike, you're giving the advantage back to the hitter. And I think. You know, while you look at his walk rate and say, wow, it's still a good walk rate, I think it's just this is a matter of command. He's struggling with things within the zone, missing location on pitches. Because you go look at some of these home runs that he's allowed this year, and they're not cheapies. I mean, I'm looking at his home run batted ball distance 453 to Buster Posey, 438 to Tulowitzki, 418 to Jerk Store. Uh, even Kevin Franzen took him uh, took him four thirteen. So I mean, he's not giving up cheap home runs. These are pretty these are pretty well struck baseball. So it's just a matter of command. You have to sometimes get away from watching the stats and watch the guy pitch. One of my favorite things to do with watching replays on home runs: where's the catcher set up? Where's the ball end up? Uh, and that's where you can really see where command becomes an issue for guys. Yeah, those are good. That's those are definitely good points. And I mean, it just kind of brings it maybe because if he's using the fastball more often, maybe he's so. We're now he's in a position where he says, "Oh, I guess I have to give in." I mean, I want to see, especially because he has a couple of other pitches, and not that they are necessarily plus pitches. I think the slider is pretty good, but I don't really know. But I, I mean, I think ultimately, I still want to see this guy be a little more unpredictable because if if these guys are sitting on something. I mean, they're going to take him deep, and that seems to be that seems to be unquestionably the case. I think it's. I mean, some of this might be that quote unquote confidence factor, and it's a combination of the confidence and command that really kind of work in conjunction, and one of them is leading the other, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, ultimately, there's there, there's probably not going to be a change. I mean, at most, they're going to give the guy a break and, and bring him back in or something like that if he you know if he was to go through a really rough stretch. But uh, it's just it's a team that's not going anywhere, so. Is, uh, and they made some sort of commitment to him, I guess. But uh, somebody who has pitched, who has pitched well, and uh, apparently is available just after being signed in the winter is Joaquin Benoit. Uh, the, it's been floated out there that he is available. Detroit has expressed interest. Obviously, this seems to make a ton of sense on paper. Eno and I have talked about the fact uh, he he brought this up specifically, made great some great points about it. Basically, that. It, it, it's really hard to move a reliever, and we shouldn't expect a lot of relievers to get traded, especially those guys who are closers, who have built up 
some kind of financial value, uh, however, <laughs> however worthwhile uh, or uh, truthful it may actually be. But Benoit, Benoit is a guy who has definitely earned his money in the last couple of seasons, and he did some of that in Detroit. Um, it looks like a great fit. The question is, is you know, th- does that happen? And uh, I mean, obviously, that you have to put him in as closer. I mean, that's, that's why you make a deal for this guy the way Joe Nathan has struggled. Any questions about that? I mean, here's the thing: if you make a trade for Benoit right now, let's say you traded him, t- you traded for him today, you're, you owe him roughly three million dollars this year. You owe him eight million next year, and there's a one and a half million buyout for him or an $8 million team option if you want to pick him up at 38 years old. Let's say Detroit did this deal because they had been while they know what they have in him, they liked him. You know, let's say they did that deal. Are they going to go ahead and throw another $8 million at a 38-year-old closer down the line after what happened with Joe Nathan this year? I don't know. I mean, from a skills level, there's nothing wrong with this deal at all to go get him. You know, he still strikes out a ton of guys, doesn't walk anybody, has embraced Petco. He's loved one home run all season. Just one. What's kind of curious, though, is if you're talking about showcasing relievers, and this is something that R.J. Anderson mentioned on Twitter the other day, Ben Waz rarely pitched. He has pitched, uh, see, he hasn't, he hasn't thrown yet in July, and he's thrown since June 15th. He's thrown five games. He's thrown five innings, and he's thrown all of uh, 32, 40. Uh, he's thrown 70 pitches over the past three weeks. That, that's not really showcasing a guy. I mean, we know what he is. He's going to throw fastballs. He's going to throw change-ups. And he's going to miss bats with that combination. But this guy's barely pitching. And I don't know if that's a guy that you could turn into a closer. That's really one of the things in the past with him. is you know, He did pitch three days in a row, the 28th, 29th, and 30th, through a total of 38 pitches in that span. But in the past, I know when he was in Tampa Bay, they were reticent to use him over multiple days like that. And sometimes they would pitch him every other day to keep his velocity fresh. So I don't know if, if he does go to Detroit or another place that's looking for a closer, if he just hops in that role, assumes that I know he did a good job in Detroit when he was given the opportunity, but that's just something that always hung around in my head. It's like, okay, what about, you know, is that still going to be an issue? But his lack of usage lately is just really strange. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'd like to think, or I hope that, uh, I mean, maybe that's partially a product of the fact that uh, it's rare that San Diego gets a lead. Um, and that's, I mean, some of these managers t- tend to be these kind of creatures of habit where they say, I'm going to use my good relievers when I have a lead or in close games and such. And I guess the Padres don't play in a ton of those or they haven't lately. I don't know. But I do think it's a little strange because sooner or later you say, I got to get the guy work and put him in a situation regardless where uh, he's of value to me. He is a creature of habit. He has pitched in the eighth inning and only the eighth inning all but four times this year. Uh, I mean, he was used 14 times in the month of May. He was used nine times in the month of June. And it is, I know these, I do agree with you that managers can be a creatures of habit, but this is an odd one. But I would, if uh, if I'm San Diego, I'm trading Houston Street. I'm trading Joaquin Benoit. You know, you're, you're not, your season's not working out. These guys should have value for you. Um, I don't, I forgot what Street's, contract situation is but uh benoit is his contract is not something that you can't that is immovable that's not an immovable object to to have to pay the guy 11 million dollars over the next season and a half to me that's worth it yeah uh and street street has an option here next year so obviously that that entails some kind of buyout or something so in a sense 
or in essence, uh, the Padres are probably less likely to get anything of value for him. Well, he's a dead-end contract. I mean, right, he's got a so. $7 million team option, so there's no buyout on that. So he's $3.5 million. Street, there should be nothing holding up that kind of deal because that's a team option. Uh, and if you don't, that's not somebody you're going to give a qualifying offer to. So this should be a dead contract. I mean, this just, you should be able to get something back of value for him. Yeah, but I think – I mean, I think I think you would – I guess it depends on how you look at it. I think you could get a little more for Benoit because he's under contract for an extra year and because he's continued to perform well, whereas the street is basically a two-month rental plus. Yeah, I mean, they have they do have – I mean, they have some leverage with Benoit because it's, it's Garen – even with the street thing, it's, it's a team option, so the team has the decision. If you trade for street and he stinks – then you just let him walk. I mean, at right. least with Ben Blanc, you, know, you have him locked up next year. You can budget your costs. And, and San Diego is the same way. San Diego doesn't have to trade that money. They could keep Ben Blanc and do this again next year if they wanted to. It's not cost prohibitive for them. Uh, I would disagree. I would think street would be more movable because you could just terminate it and walk away after this year and be done with it. And, you know, with the – and. If, if I'm a trade partner with San Diego and I say, look, oh, you don't want to trade Street, you're going to exercise this option, fine. Go ahead and pay the $8 million for Benoit and the $7 million for Street and have $15 million at the back of your bullpen and be a 70-win team again next year. Yeah, no. Well, I think – I mean, I agree. I think I think Street's more movable, but I still think you're a little less likely to get something uh, significant. Although you probably sure. – I, I, mean, I guess it's hard to say you can get anything significant for either of them because they're relievers. That's just – that's the way that's the way I think they should look at it. But – Anyway, it's it's, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's, for instance, I don't think there's a question. Detroit trade if Detroit trades for Benoit, that's probably who they're looking at to close games for them. Will it work out? It seems likelier than not. It certainly seems like he's a better option than Nathan mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point of his career. It just it's kind of a shame to see Nathan kind of go down like this. And he could still, you know, he could still be maybe a kind of a crafty piece of that bullpen. But uh, you know, it clearly just doesn't have the same stuff that he used to. And. Uh, Glad we have Jason on for this uh, opportunity. Just a little, a little more insight into we haven't had you around for a bit. We've talked about the Rays' closer uh, bullpen situation in Tampa Bay for a bit now. But I uh, wanted to get your take on it, especially now that Brad Boxberger has entered the picture just because he picked up a save on Wednesday. Grant Balfour obviously picked up a save on Tuesday. This is a committee. We know that. How do you see it playing out? And, uh, I mean, I wanted to bring it up just uh, in part also because I, I like Boxberger. I brought him up as an option when they first talked about this being a committee, and it's nice to see him get an opportunity. Not to say that he is by any means going to get this opportunity in part because financial considerations could be easily in play there for him. I mean, this is a true committee, and, and I love it. I mean, it's as a baseball fan, I love it. As a fantasy guy, it's kind of frustrating. But as a baseball fan, I like seeing a team go ahead and, and you, we've heard a lot of teams talk about closer by committee, but we never see anybody implement it for any length of time. Managers say, oh, I'm going to go with the best guy available. And then a week later, they're back to the guy that they pulled from the role. Uh, in this case, they really haven't. Balfour's had a couple of opportunities, and they gave him one the other night. He walked two, but he was able to get out of it. In Yankee Stadium, like Boxberger, I like the guy's stuff too. There's a lot of swing and miss stuff there. Um, he, he struck out, you know, 48 strikeouts. Uh, he struck out 48 of the 123 guys he's faced, and he's not allowing a lot of hits. The one thing he has struggled with is the long ball. He's given up six home runs this year because he's a fastball changeup guy, and if he misses location, it's getting crushed. Uh, and so that's really the only risk with him there uh, is that situation. But this bullpen thing has truly been a matchup, or who. 
who's been used. I mean, the other day it was really set up. Peralta had to pitch in Yankee Stadium, gave up the home run to Brian Roberts. Not an ideal ballpark for Joel Peralta to pitch in because of his fly ball tendencies. But Jake McGee, had, he had been set in his usage pattern. And that's the one guy Madden has really stayed with in the in his the way he's used him. But he's been cycling Peralta and he's been cycling Balfour and he's and now he's used he threw Boxberger into that mix because of the way the other guys were used. So I think all these guys are still going to get saves. But is are any one of them going to have ten or more saves this from this point on? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to go back to that to that role. You hear a lot of talk about them playing better baseball lately, and maybe they're still in it. They have a 4% chance to make the postseason. All it's going to take is another three-game losing streak to turn these guys into official sellers. I, I still would like to see, that as, as a fan of the team, I still would like to see them trade David Price this month to help the future of the franchise because it is light up at the top, upper levels. Um, but if they keep playing good baseball and can you know, win you know, 7 out of 10 over the next couple of weeks, that does change the narrative a little bit. Uh, but getting back to the closer situation, no, I don't think anybody's going to get 10 saves here. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's it's a, you're talking five of the seven relievers in this bullpen have picked up a save in the last three to four weeks. Uh, and I don't, I mean, that's not just by accident. Uh, in part, it's because any number of these guys, I think, I mean, it shows Madden has clearly been comfortable with each and any of these guys in that particular situation and it's working. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's really, there's really no need to, to, no need to go away from it. And for the most part, um, most of these pitchers have the skills to accomplish those things uh, other than at the time, at least Balfour's. Balfour struggles obviously necessitated this move. So uh, he he was uh, in his save situation on Tuesday. It was a clean appearance, I believe, right? A clean, maybe perfect inning. Um, and I, if it, you have to correct me if I'm wrong. This is totally anecdotal, but I think that Madden uh, said that he wanted to give him the save chance because he saw Balfour. Uh, do some really good Samaritan type stuff earlier in the That's day. That's correct. He he, uh, he saw his grandmother in the hotel lobby and was walking her around. She's ninety. And Madden's like, "Oh, that's cute. I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let Balfour get a save." He did walk. He walked two in the inning, but nobody scored. Um, it was it was a rather tight zone a little bit. I did get to catch that ninth inning, but yeah, Madden Madden's kooky like that and will do things uh, like that situation and. Uh, it worked out, and then the next night he comes in with Boxberger. It, it was a three-run lead. It's a nice chance. It's a nice time to give Boxberger that appearance. It was a six-three, uh, a six-three game. It was a day game after a night game. The other guys, the regulars, had had their turn in the bullpen, so it was a good chance to give the kid. And he came in and looked really good. Yeah, that's cool. And I think, I think the best part about this is that on future road trips, you're probably going to see uh, Joel Peralta, Jake McGee. Juan or Oviedo, Boxberger, these guys, his grandmas are going to be on the road trips too. I think it's cool. <laughs> that was the best thing. I, when I was watching the TV broadcast, Brian Anderson, the former pitcher, is the color guy for the team. And he's like, yeah, I saw Jake McGee down there in the hotel lobby getting ready to go on the team bus. And I told him, Jake, go find the, the, the old lady closest to the hotel, throw her over your shoulder and take her across the lobby. Maybe you'll get the save chance today. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> that's how things roll in Tampa Bay. Very nice, very nice. Well, uh, just want to touch extremely briefly on these guys um, for some changes in the rotation. Uh, TJ House, in particular, Tito Francona is giving him the nod. Says he says for the just for the this could be a very short term thing, but he's getting the nod for the number five spot in the Cleveland rotation. Totally time being thing. Zach McAllister's on the farm. Uh, he's come back from uh, some health issues. Danny Salazar has obviously struggled, but he recently, in his last couple of starts, he's been 
he's been pretty good. Uh, so long term, this doesn't necessarily look like anything of great value, but House has put up some okay numbers. He's actually he's had four really good starts and six, well, four pretty good starts and six. He hasn't gone deep in games, uh, right. and I just think. Uh, Basically, want to say, you know, are, are these guys really legit? They're only going to be AL only commodities because these are uh, and sh- maybe short term things. But uh, uh, House in particular appeals to me, uh, and I just wanted to point him out because I think uh, he's he, he throws in the no uh, the low nineties. Uh, also has a changeup, and there's about a ten mile per hour uh, difference between his fastball and changeup, mm-hmm. uh, and both his changeup and slider get strikes uh, or get swinging strikes about a fifth of the time, and. Uh, and I think it's I think some encouraging stuff there, and I just want to encourage AL only owners: don't be afraid to go out and get this guy for like a buck and say I'm um, taking game on him for a couple of weeks. If he turns out, I mean, he may not even be up that long. He could get trash in his next start, and uh, they go in a different direction. But uh, in a season where Chris Young has value and continues to have value in July, I, I can't question any pick, pitching pickup. I mean, I have Chris Young in AL Tout Wars, and it wasn't because I looked at it and said, "Ooh, there's potential here." I looked at it and said, "Oh, Chris Young has a job, and I need a pitcher, <laughs> so I'm going to pick him up." That's how much effort went into that decision but with house i mean he hasn't won a game he's he's one of these guys that's gonna he's got to you know pitch to contact rely on the defense behind him he doesn't have a win yet he's got five no decisions and, and two losses when you look at what he's done he does give up his fair share of hits uh, unless uh, strikeouts really aren't there as much but again in a season where chris young has found value with this approach i i'm not going to question things i'm just going to if i need a guy i'm going to pick him up yeah, yeah. That said, I'm not going to pick up the guy. I'm not picking up the guy in Texas. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the other guy we're getting to is uh, uh, Joe Saunders. About time Texas DFA. It took so long. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess they're holding on because maybe he can help them get to the playoffs, and some of their young guys can't. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Holy cow! It's <laughs> like it, it was a running joke because my my kid brother is a Rangers fan, and every time Joe Saunders pitches, I would get these profane laced texts from him, like, "Oh God, it's gonna be Saunders tonight." Here come the fireworks, and then his last outing, the one in Baltimore, where he gave up six runs in like the first two innings. I was just flat out trolling him he's like shut up <laughs> yeah and the and the pitcher who replaces him is miles mikolas uh i hope i said that name right it's clearly greek um and he he's picked up about uh 6.8 strikeouts per nine innings uh in his one start so i guess that means how many how many strikeouts is this uh, I didn't look that far it's, ahead. It's the same. It's the same kind of model. You look at his. Tri- you look at his, his minor league track record. More hits than innings pitch. Uh, fewer strikeouts. You know, the one thing you look at what he's able to do in Triple A this year, which is a little different from his past track record. Forty four innings pitched. Fifty three hits. Yeah. But he only walked three guys and struck out thirty eight. So the fact that he wasn't getting himself in trouble with walks, that's a good thing. But still, the extra hits speak to it. Hey, I love the strikeout to walk ratio, but we've all talked about how that's a poor way to judge a guy's talent. But if he's not hurting himself with walks, and in that Texas, in that Texas situation, at least he has the defensive help there. That that's one of the that that may be a saving grace for him. If you made me choose between Nicholas and House, I'm going to take House. But if I'm desperate, if I'm if I'm in my Chris Young situation again. I'm not going to throw away Mikolas. I may just say, okay, you know, I'll give him a shot, see what he can do with uh, in Texas over, say, a middle reliever, uh, and, and try to grab some vulture wins or Ks there. Yeah. Well, the thing now I see whether uh, I knew there was a reason that I wanted to talk about him, and it's not that I uh, 
by any means necessarily saying recommend uh, recommend him or anything like that. But it was they. I mean, this is a guy that the Rangers are transitioning uh, from a relief role into a starter. This is the first year he's made starts as a professional since like five years. Um, and yeah, uh, so he's not going deep. Yeah, yeah, and he's not. But uh, I mean, that's that's something to keep in mind. But for the long term, maybe he's making the transition. And I guess it makes it makes me ask: Did they see something in him? Because he's put up some okay numbers as a reliever in the minors, uh, particularly in the in earlier levels. But just in general, it's not like he's been a bad reliever, um, and, and even at the in the majors uh, on a couple of occasions. But uh, did they see something in him that says, "Hey, maybe this guy could be a really good star"? Oh, well, I wouldn't say really good, but it could be a starter for us. And he, had, you know, he throws. 92, 93, 94. Uh, I mean, that's that's decent velocity. Not great, but it's decent. Um, it's they, and we've talked about. Obviously, we know that velocity gives you a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, not by any means. Yeah, I I, I would take House over Mikolas, but uh, it's just an interesting thing. At least something to point out because this is ulti- ultimately what I'm trying to say is this is a guy that I would automatically dismiss usually, but. Look at the career path and what is going on there and say, uh, maybe they're up to something and at least keep that in the back of your mind. Because who knows, maybe this guy comes in and you know, maybe he comes into spring training and wins the number five uh, job in the rotation next year or something like that. It's just it's an interesting thing to note. Uh, I would I would certainly take house over over Nicolas picking up right now. But it's not like any of these either of these guys says, oh, yeah, I'm better than the other per se. Agreed. Now I want to get to some things with with the lineup juggling. We talked about uh, Oscar Tavares' call up the second time. We said, "Hey, go pick this guy up because he's. I mean, he's still available in a decent chunk of leagues. And uh, unless you're in like a ten team mixed league, I mean, I think you could make the justification not to pick him up. But uh, I mean, anything deeper than that, and there's quite a few leagues like that. But uh, really intense mixed leagues, I'd probably want to own him too. But he'd be like a fringy guy, perhaps with a lot of upside. But anyway." He's not even the issue here. Now it looks like, I mean, Alan Craig, I think, has sat on two of the three days that Tavares, since Tavares has been called back up. And we know we know that he uh, Craig got off to a kind of a slow start earlier in the season. He picked it up since. It's kind of maybe cold in the last week or so. I'm not sure exactly how long this period is. But it's not like it's not like he hasn't proven himself to some extent. But are we starting to become start, start to become concerned about uh, Craig's, Craig's playing time? Because it's not just... It's not just two days out of three that he's out. I mean, there's been some illusions in the media, and I think that there's uh, where there's a little bit of smoke. There's maybe a little bit of reason to be concerned. Although, I mean, this is not a guy I'm dropping in a 15-team mixed league or 12-team mixed league. I know what this guy has delivered for me in the past, but uh, are we starting to become a little bit of concerned about how this is going to shake out? I would be. I mean, you look over the last month; he is a 5.98 OPS. And when you look at his spray chart, he's not driving the ball anywhere. If he's if, if it has gone deep, it's been to the opposite field. And that's really the concern. I mean, earlier in the season, he was getting killed on the inner half. People were just pounding him inside, and he wasn't able to do anything with it. He's doing slightly better now. You look at the, the, the breakdown things, but he's still not driving the baseball. It's more of it looks more like his spray chart looks more like an inside out uh, everything. A lot of his hits are going the other way, and he's rolling over on a lot of pitches. Uh, to the to the pull side of the field for a guy you know you need a run producer and he's not getting on base he's got 283 obp he's slugging 315 these are middle infield numbers these are reserve middle infield numbers they're not they're not pete cosma but they're not that far above pete cosma i mean he's hitting (laughs) 259 283 315 if you take 20 points off that batting average that's pete cosma and yeah, Alan Craig should be the guy losing playing time here if they're going to give it to Tavares. Craig's going to have to go to a reduced role. 
Ouch. So, what's your recommendation, for instance, in in fifteen team mixed league mixed tout wars? Would your recommendation be to drop him? Uh, cut city. Yeah, I mean, in a fifteen, you need a guy that's going to be playing at least eighty to eighty five percent of the time. I don't see that path for Alan Craig right now. Right now, or well, I guess that's that's where my dilemma comes in because I I would be really hesitant to make that recommendation. I mean, I think. Um, John Jay slash Peter Borges in center field. One of them, I would assume that uh, Borges is the loser there because the reason that Craig is sitting is because uh, when they face a right-hander, they go with Jay in center. Um, you know, I, the, the trade-off there, I mean, Jay has been, you know, no help offensively this year. Clearly, the center field defense is pretty is pretty decent, but they played Tavares and right uh, in two to three days. I think that they can get away with they want eventually to get away with playing Tavares in center field and they've been playing him there in the minors I I can't help but think but uh, but they also they also moved Tavares to right field for I think his last game in the minors before they brought him back up perhaps also signaling who would be taking a seat more often than not I'm, I'm a little nervous with that but I think I I can't help but think that the Cardinals like so, uh, unless they are aware of something and that could be the case too but unless they're aware of something that that is affecting Craig's performance uh, that we are not. I mean, this is this is a guy to me who's hit like in every year of his career at every level. I don't have any doubts about his hitting ability. It, you know, it makes me wonder: is there some kind of nagging injury? Is there something that he just, you know, is there something in his personal life that has just gone awry and he just doesn't care anymore, or something like that? I mean, I, and that was my concern when he was getting killed in the inner half. A lot of the times, that's not being able to get the foot down and being able to get the bat head through the zone in time. Uh, so I thought maybe that was part of the problem there. I mean, we're also talking, this isn't a spring chicken. He's 29 turning 30 here soon. So this isn't a spring chicken. Uh, we shouldn't see this kind of drop off like this uh, compared to where he's been the last couple of years. And, and to fall off like this, there has to be something under the surface that we're not seeing. Yeah, well, I agree. And that's like, I, I think if this continues, I mean, if I see it play out for I'm the way I'm going to put it is I'm going to hang I'm going to desperately cling to Craig in a 15 team mixed league. I guess I could understand I I would I could see under I, I could certainly see dropping him in a 12 team mixed league or anything shower. I think like with with the difficulty I've had I, I think that's part of it too. There's just there's not a lot of hitting talent available relative to what's good in a 15 team mixed league at least in in this particular mixed 15 team mixed league. Right. Because I bid on it when it comes up. <laughs> so I mean I I think given what, you know, what I might or might not be able to replace him with. I mean, if, if something good comes up, I definitely will consider it then. But I think otherwise, I, I'm, I'll take your res- uh, I will definitely take the recommendation into account, though, because it's, uh, you know, sooner or later I might have to make that decision anyway. Now, San Francisco has made a change. Actually, it's not really that significant a one, because I, I think Hunter Pence was hitting second most of the time, but now they have moved him into the leadoff spot just – you know, it's a little bit of a flavor, something to, to talk about in the sense of uh, what, is, what does this mean? Ultimately, what this means is just because they just learned that uh, Angel Pagan has had, I don't want to call it a setback, but I guess you can't really call it anything else. And he had some kind of injection. And so they, he's kind of has, he has an indefinite timetable at this point in return. He's been the big spark plug for this lineup. So um, I think if, if Pagan had remained on track to be activated shortly after he was eligible sometime next week or a week after that or something like that. They might have stuck with Gregor Blanco or someone, someone else. But I think this is a, it's kind of a Band-Aid solution. Uh, but what, what do you think yeah. of this? 
I mean, I would I would try to play the hot hand situation here, and moving Pence to the leadoff wouldn't be the guy I would do. Yes, Pence is hitting 315. His on-base percentage is 350. He's slugging 495. I mean, he's a run producer. I, I, I Honestly, I'd play the hot hand here. I'd put Brandon Crawford leadoff. Over the, the, the numbers I just read off were over the last month. Yeah. Over the last month, Brandon Crawford on base 358. So he's doing just slightly better than than what Pence has been doing. Yes, he's only hitting 268, but who cares? The name of the game is getting on base. He's doing the best job in that lineup outside of Pablo Sandoval right now. You're not going to hit Pablo leadoff. Why not hit Crawford leadoff, leave Pence in the second spot, and, and just play the hot hand? I mean, Crawford's drawing his walks. He's drawn 12 walks here over the last month. Pence has drawn five. So Pence is doing what he's always done, is just trying to keep hitting and putting the ball into play. Crawford's showing the ability to work counts, get walks. I'd rather have that skill set hit and lead off. But you look at lineup construction, you know, one, two, or four is where your three best guys should be. I'd just rather leave Pence, I'd leave, leave Pence second and play the hot hand right now because that's what this offense, this is what it has to offer. If you can mix something of Sandoval, Crawford, Pence, and Posey up at the top, uh, top four spots, uh, then go with it. I mean, I know like Mike Morris's numbers over the season look good. Again, over the last month, 228, 276, 337. Not really doing much for you. So try to play a hot hand lineup. Yeah, I think you make a good point. I mean, I think I think Crawford would be – he'd be a really interesting experiment up there. I like that idea quite a bit. Uh, I, I think – I think actually, you know what? I mean, to be to be honest, or maybe not, it may not be any other any better choice really. Is uh, I, I and I I do think it's strange because, like you said, ultimate. I mean, Pence is a run producer. This is not really going to result in, um, you know, maybe it results in like a handful of more plate appearances or, or for Pence in the uh, in the time that it takes before Pagan is back. It's not really going to, but you're taking a run producer out of behind, uh, from behind a guy who might be getting on base in front of him. I don't know. I, I think it's it does seem like a strange move. We'll see. I mean, it might maybe it doesn't last for very long. It also doesn't like maybe it won't matter because Pence is just so unorthodox and it won't matter to begin with. But he just like his his control of the strike zone is I don't even want, I don't even want to call it that. He just goes up there and doesn't think and he just it's he's got that everything everything is unorthodox, including his approach at the plate. He's just going to surprise you. He's not going to do anything different. Yeah, and. Um, I guess if he gets on base, that's great, but I don't see necessarily how it's going to result in a plus. I think, I think more so it's, I mean, it's just, I know Brandon Belt is supposed to be back very soon, uh, I think on Friday. And so that's uh, ultimately that just gives him a little bit more to work with, but uh, it's, 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 it's kind of a strange solution, I guess. Moving on to have a couple of players we want to get to talk about uh, the Hula requests. Um, and this is a guy I've kind of wanted to talk about. I was actually asked about him on uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio the other night. And I thought, you know, there's a guy that we just really haven't talked about. And probably, we probably thought for good reason, but we've gotten a, a request or two about him, answered a question about him in a chat, is Steve Pierce, uh, who is, <laughs> who is, he's tearing it up right now. And, we, you know, we've seen, I mean, it's, you know, it's J.D. Martinez part two in a way. Uh, this guy who's kind of been an also ran for a good part of his career now suddenly has gets a little playing time and starts bomb starts you know going bombs away. Is this legit? Is there any legit any legitimacy to it? Do we say, hey, this is a guy that uh, you know he's he's just the flavor right now, and you know, there's no reason to buy into this. It's a guy to dump, et cetera, et cetera. 
it's insane with him. I mean, let's not forget, Steve Pierce was designated for assignment on April 23rd. The yeah. Orioles didn't see much here in him. They were willing to let him walk, and then somebody got hurt, and they were able to say, okay, never mind, we can take him. Something happened. I remember somebody got hurt right around then, and they were able to keep him. Or even he cleared through waivers. Since he was DFA'd, dude is hitting 331, 395, 614. That's Chris Davis numbers. He has 11 doubles, 10 home runs. If you've watched the guy play, he's going for the fence with all of his swings. It's an uppercut. Typically, you know, his his modus operandi has been to hit left-handed pitching, and that's what he's been able to do. But these numbers are just insane right now. You look at what he's doing against lefties, 378, 462, 800. That's, again, since he's been DFA'd. It's only 52 plate appearances, but when you you know when your career is being threatened like that, Suddenly, you have survival bias. and like, oh, my God, I better start hitting. Against righties, 310, 364, 530. I mean, it is it, – the ballpark's a good fit for him. He's got Fenway when he's on the road. He's got Rogers Center when he's on the road. You just ride him. I mean, this is a guy – he was a throw-in to a trade to me in my home league uh, five weeks ago, and I just put him on my lineup three weeks ago. I just like – you know, I, I can't – this – He's keeping this up. I kept looking at it going, this is Steve Pierce. I've seen this guy. You can get this guy out. Well, apparently nobody's getting this guy out right now. And as long as he's putting up these Chris Davis numbers, he should be in your lineup. I mean, this is a guy that you know absolutely should be in play in a 15-team mixed league. Uh, he's making a strong case to be in play in a 12-team mixed league. It's been you know, 44 games and 162 plate appearances. But, I mean, these are big numbers, and you missed out on him. Who knows what he's going to be able to do when he comes back. He's a dead pull hitter. All of his power is that direction. They don't, he doesn't even pretend to try to hit the ball the other way. He just doesn't do it that often. Uh, but it's this is a cheap pickup that may still be out there in the leagues. He's 31. So if you're in a keeper league, it's, this is a turn and burn situation. Uh, but ride it out while it's while it's still there. Yeah, that, well, yeah, I'm not going to question. I mean, I, you know, certainly I think you ride it out. I think, I mean, we certainly, some of the questions we got uh, are just, Hey, is he, you know, how, how much of it is real? Is there any chance that this is actually a breakthrough like we've seen from other guys? And when I was no. asked, when, when I was asked though, I, th- I said, you know, let's not, I mean, I, I kind of dismissed uh, Brandon Moss's kind of exactly. return re- relevance. And yep. I mean, that has really worked out well for me. <laughs> I mean, in the sense like, it, I mean, to me, he has kind of a similar profile to Moss, except he's the right-handed hitter and Moss is the left-handed version. Moss hits left-handers now. I mean, there's no, I mean, like some of these guys yes. pick that up now. And I mean, he Pierce draws a walk. He's done, he's had a lot of uh, success doing that in the minors. He wasn't a top prospect for the Pirates, but he was kind of a guy that they hoped would be maybe kind of a Gabby Sanchez type for them before they actually had Gabby Sanchez. I mean, he's he was there was some potential there, kind of along the same lines as Moss. He was kind of a fringy prospect, but uh, there was you know there's a lot of potential there. Maybe it just took a lot. Uh, and and also, I mean, he, Pierce is a bigger guy, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, he's he's a stocky guy. He's not correct. Yeah. He's a fire plug. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Here's what he's doing differently. His home run to fly ball rate has nearly doubled from last year and what it's what it's typically been. I mean, last year it was it was a uh, 9.8 this year. It's 17.9. It was 6.9 the season before his batting average and balls in play is 61 points higher than it was last year. It's 41 points higher than it has been in his best year in 2010 when it was 320 in a limited sample size. So this isn't a breakout because he's 31. I mean, this is a guy who's, who is still going to be a guy that you that should be 
a short side platoon guy that's going to hit lefty that will hit left-handed pitching. But like you said, a Gabby Sanchez type, this isn't a breakout because it, it looks to be fueled by two things, a lot of batting average on balls in play fortune and a doubling his home run the fly ball rate. I mean, it, it's not like he changed scenery. He was with Baltimore last year and he was at 10%. All of a sudden he's at 18%. So as quickly as that stuff shows up, it could fall apart, but I'm just going to sit there. He's in my everyday lineup right now and I'm, I'm writing him out and I even have him in a 15 team mixed league. And I have him in a 10 team AL and until he shows otherwise, he's going to stay in that lineup. Yeah, I think, I mean, given what he's shown, he's probably earned himself a bit of a leash. So <laughs> especially with a team that has struggled to produce a bit of offense on occasion because you now they lost Matt Wieters. Uh, Nelson Cruz has basically been driving that lineup. It's nice. You know, Manny Machado has shown some size of life. And in general, this is a team that's starting to put it together, perhaps offensively. And But anyway, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm still, yeah, I, I'm not going to say Pierce is, a, uh, by any means, He's this is a breakthrough for him. And, you know, now you've found some, some uh you've struck gold or anything like that but you struck gold maybe for several more uh you know at least a few more weeks perhaps who knows remember what juan francisco was doing earlier this year yes (laughs) that here here's your new juan francisco (laughs) that's a good point i mean i think just because you know i I don't i just don't want to dismiss guys who have you know they've 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 come a ways yeah but it's it's hard to put him in the brandon moss category because he's older uh, took him even longer to figure out the splits thing, and so there's even less reason to believe that the indicators don't necessarily say that he's figured out the splits thing. It's just it seems like a fantastic run. The right-handed, I mean, there is a disgustingly drastic difference between his walk rate and strikeout rates versus left-handers, and then also versus right-handers. So it still doesn't look great, uh, but it, he is locked in, and you should lock him in for as long as it ha- as it's going on at least. I mean. I mean, this is the new Juan Francisco. Juan Francisco, and everybody loved this guy, was hitting 275 with a 365 OBP and a 596 slug. Juan Francisco since 188, 243, 420. Yum. That's what can happen when all that when that stuff falls apart on a guy, and that's kind of what could happen with Pierce. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's still there's still a pretty good chance that that's going to happen to Pierce. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's a cool story, but. Uh... Um, because I don't own them, I don't care. And uh, we did. Have, we have a we had a listener who asked, just wanted to get some general strategy uh, advice on. His question was about how to reconcile current season performance versus long term performance. So clearly, this is this is basically it's a what well, it is it's a keeper league question slash dynasty league question. And he wanted to know now he his question was more about how do I leverage these performances as far as. Uh, a 35-year-old who's hitting, or you know, 300, 400, 500 versus a 20-year-old who is hitting 270, 320, 400, uh, and then, uh, but a 20-year-old who has a potential to hit the 300, 400, to 500 for, you know, a few to several seasons, and uh, so uh, I, I'm, and you know, how do you choose the direction you go in and things like that? I, I, I assume that that's kind of what the the question was driving at is when do you decide if you're a buyer or seller? Um, which one do you want more, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I changed also, I want to just say, you know, maybe, you know, it's, I guess it's a kind of, I don't want to say it's a rare instance, but more so I start to look at it as I, I put 30, 30 years old on the sheet here and probably should have put more like 32 or 33. But, uh, to, I, I think the aging curve maybe is just my guess has started to kind of shift a little. Sure. <laughs> so, um, I think 
Jason, you you have a lot more experience in in dynasty and keeper leagues than I do. I played in some, but uh, you, you, I think this is a perfect question for you to answer because I think you give great advice on stuff like this. When is it that you decide, or how do you leverage, for instance, a guy who's performing so well? I mean, a couple of things that come into play. Long term projection should always win out. I mean, the short term bias should never win out your long term projections. And anytime you look at a guy, go back and look at their preseason projections whether it be zips or steam or whatever, look at the projections, see where the guy's performing. If they're like way over the head, you know, you, the, you can allow for some error there, but if somebody is like overperforming their, their numbers like crazy, it makes you say, okay, so let's sit down look at it. You know, we just talked about Steve Pierce. Why is Steve Pierce exceeding his projections by so much? Okay. This happened. Did he change something? Has he changed his stance? Has he done something else? Is he using a lighter bat? You know, any of those kind of things, try to find those things out. But the other thing that's really important is, is context. Now, I was talking with a, a radio station this morning, and they were talking about Bryce Harper and having a bad year. And this this radio station's in Myrtle Beach, where the Myrtle Beach Pelicans play, which is a high A Rangers farm club. And I said, you know, Bryce Harper is younger than most of that Myrtle Beach Pelicans roster you guys get to go watch. He's in the major leagues, and those kids are still playing A ball. So if he's only hitting 275 and it's not hitting for power, I don't care because he's three levels ahead of his age peers. Most guys 21 years old, if they're still in baseball or in a ball, he's in his third year of the major league. So I don't care what Bryce Harper's doing this year. I'm not trading him in a dynasty league. I'm not selling him because he's playing bad now. We know what Bryce Harper can be. We know what he's doing as a 21-year-old. And that, to me, there's a lot of substance to that. You look at that and say, okay, you know, he's going to get better unless he has a serious injury. And But, I mean, that's always going to be a problem with him is you know he's going to have some kind of injury because he's done it every year, and that stuff doesn't go away. But when he plays, when he's healthy, he should be really good. And I'm not – I'm in a, in a dynasty league where I have Harper, I've had people send me a couple offers. I don't care. I'm not playing for 2014. I'm playing for the next three years right now at, the, at that point in this league. And Harper is part is a big part of that picture, and I'm not going to move him based on three months of bad baseball. Yeah, I think um, yeah, regarding Harper especially, I, I mean, I love I love him. A couple of years ago, I said I liked him more than Trout. I guess now I look like an idiot. We'll see. I mean, I think that there's that's still TBD. Although at this point, Trout clearly has a great lead and a great uh, edge on him. But I mean, I think like you said, I mean, what Harper has accomplished. And it's not just like the the counting numbers or anything like that. I mean, because he's had a what he hit twenty six home runs in a couple of years ago, and I mean, we know that that potential is still there. I mean, and once you do it, you have it and all that stuff. But the way he makes adjustments and things like that, the way he, I mean, he didn't struggle when he came up to the majors. Like he when he debuted, he might you know, kind of maybe had it. He maybe he struggled for a week, but there was like he makes the adjustments so quickly. He's smart. He understands the acumen is off the charts, and the you know combined with the ability. Yeah, yeah. Health is clearly that's your only question. You know, Jason makes a great point there. I mean, you don't trade pieces that you know are going to be a part of your future championship runs. I mean, Trout's a great example because remember how many people were, were freaking out and pressing the panic button on him in April because he was striking out too much. Like, oh my God, is this really the best player in baseball? What's going to happen to him? I mean, let's go back and look at some of the trades that have been happening. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at in my AL only league. I pulled up Mike Trout's player page and guys that he was traded for. I mean, this is six, for some reason, not letting me go any further back than 620, I guess, to save embarrassment for some people, because I'm sure there's some ugly trades here. But somebody traded Melky Cabrera and Garrett Richards and got Mike Trout and Greg Holland. 
and that's an AL league. That's not even a mixed league. That's not even a, a head-to-head. That kind of trade went through. Somebody else did Mike Trout for Ryan Braun and Shinshu too. I mean, that's that's big. That's that's a mixed league. But those are some of the things uh, that I'm looking at here. But sometimes these kind of trades, people press the panic buttons. This is clearly somebody selling, um, playing for the future. Somebody traded Mike Trout for Greg Polanco and Javier Baez. I love those kind of guys. I love those guys that trade Mike Trout for rookies and want to play for three years from now. I mean, that's just foolish. Uh, But those are some of the things that that we see out there. But people are panicking in April and early May about Mike Trout. And Mike Trout's been crushing the baseball since. So that's why I never let recency bias get into the way and say, oh, God, this guy's going to suck. Maybe maybe we were wrong about him. Uh, It's 80 plate appearances. Who cares? Uh, Maybe it's 100 plate appearances. Who cares? In a dynasty league, you need to be thinking big picture and not just short-term picture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we whenever we you want to look at, you ultimately want to know why a, p- a player is going through a slump or or is hot. I mean, you want to know why. We can only know so much, but um, without without some kind of definitive data, like you said, I mean, you go back to you go back to the mean performance or what we know the guy's ability is. I mean, it's, and uh, well, let me let me throw out a hypothetical situation for you. I just thought of this. Like we talked about Mike Morris a bit ago. Here's Mike Morris. He's in the midst of what I don't think we can call anything but a career year, basically, except for 2011. He had 31 home runs, batted 303. So I guess this is maybe not quite as much of a career, but this is a clearly a player who's been valuable. He's slumped lately, but his overall uh, holds still the promise. Maybe he could double his production, but say you know, projection wise, he has 260, uh, 10 home runs for the rest of the season. That's not bad, but uh, I mean, there's potential to do much more. He's in the midst of a pretty good year. Do you and you have an Oscar, say Oscar Tavares, who has not really performed that well, has not even performed up to this kind of 273, 2400 standard. But we know that, I mean, he is, he has probably a pretty low bust rate, relatively speaking, about prospects. The And there's an insane amount of talent here, et cetera, et cetera. Decent bit of power. Um, at what point do you make a trade like a, do you ever make a trade like a Morris for a Tavares or somebody along those lines? Oh, yeah, easily. I, I don't even hesitate to make that kind of deal. I, I wasn't a Mike Morris. I was wrong on Mike Morris. I'll, I'll freely admit that I didn't think he'd have the numbers he has right now at this point. Uh, but it, it has worked out for him. But in that kind of deal, when I'm looking at – sorry, family just came home and you know, dog wants to get out. Uh, <laughs> when I look at those kind of numbers, I, I'm looking at the long-term picture. I think over the next three years, Tavares will outproduce Mike Morris. He may not outproduce him in 2014, but over the next two and a half seasons, absolutely I'll take Tavares. Yes, yes. Okay, so now would you ever consider the going the other way if you're making a run? Do you do you deal Tavares' future for Mike Morris for the rest of the season? Or is there another is there another similar player? Can you think of a player, I guess, that is um somebody you would deal uh Tavares for just to make a run at this season? To- um if I'm deal if I'm dealing Tavares to make a run at this season, if I'm in a top three right now and I have a legitimate shot at first at first place I'm going to – I'll make foolish decisions. I will trade him and try to win this year. I've been a big proponent of the flags fly forever uh, strategy for a a while, and I'll make those kind of trades and deal with it in the future. Uh, You're talking to somebody who's – I had Bryce Harper in another league, and I I traded him. So I've done other things like that. It doesn't doesn't scare me. But but I really have to have a legitimate shot look and say, okay, do I have a 50% chance of winning this league? Yes. Then I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to do the equivalent of trading Victor Zambrano – 
uh, or Scott Casimir for Victor Sambrano. I will do something like that to win a fantasy league, I, even if it's a dynasty league, because I'm good with that one time up front. I will do that and, and make that happen and deal with it later. I, I'm, I'm confident enough in my abilities to recreate my team. I have taken a team from first to last back to first uh, in a three-season span. In fact, I went first, last, and then won the league two times in a row after that, after going into rebuilding mode. So it, things like that can happen. And that's just the way you have to kind of look at it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Ultimately, you want the flag. Might, Morris might not is probably not the best example as far as a trade for Tavares is concerned because, I mean, Morris is not like if if I, I think part of it is going to be it's the degree of the prospect. Like Tavares to me is is as close as you can get to a cinch as far as just being a quality performer. The ceiling is really high. I think the floor is decent. So like, I mean, he's still like he's still kind of an above-average fantasy outfielder in, 12, in a 15-team mixed league. Uh, I don't. I, I think it's going to be hard for him. Well, I don't think it's going to be easy for him to not be that. But, um, yeah, there comes a point, like, I, I want I, – I'm willing to trade Tavares if it's t- – if, if a couple – you know, just before my league's trade deadline and I'm like, wow, I need a difference maker – and somebody says, "Hey, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a trout for Tavares." Well, I guess that's that's not going to happen. I'm try- I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But somebody who's clearly going to make a difference for me for the rest of the season and give me that win because the win, the win matters, <laughs> and it uh, does. It, it it matters a lot. Uh, I mean, it might not matter to you as much, and so you, maybe you want to play for the future. I think ultimately, because we get a lot of these, I always gotten a lot of questions in fantasy, and I used to be. Uh, kind of hesitant to trade my pieces and then i was like sooner or later i was like you know like i, I trade these guys um so hesitant to trade these guys and then i end up two years later and i can't even use them because it turns out they didn't they weren't any good like that's like we're always uh, you're always afraid to let go of something that everybody tells you is great and we really don't know how great it is and there's a lot of times that these things are not really that good so there are exceptions to the rule the top couple of guys, I mean, Buxton really probably probably requires a great prospect, uh, you know, probably requires a really great player in return. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a couple of way, years away from helping you. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to go into these things. And uh, I think too often people think of prospects as like these pieces of uh, infallible trade material. Yeah, and I th- I, we all have somebody like that in our league. We all have a guy that's like, oh, nope, always playing for the future. And we, my team is stacked. Look at all these prospects. This is my year to win. I have a guy in my league who has that team every year, and I went back and looked at where he's finished. He's never finished in the money in this our, in our league, ever. And he's been in the league 10 years. But he always has a ton of prospects. And he trades them and burns them. Something happens. I think he has good drafts. And then it just doesn't work out. But he has not finished in the money. And after 10 years... You, I mean, after three years of not finishing with that model, you have to reevaluate what you're doing and say, okay, what's going on here? Now, I'll freely admit, I used to be the guy that would hoard those prospects. No, there's no way I'm trading this guy. Uh, but I traded Carlos Correa last year, and it helped me win that league. I won the league, but I gave up Carlos Correa. But I knew when I looked at the standings, some I was in first place at the time. Somebody had a chance of catching me in two categories. It was going to be close. And I said, you know what? I want to win the money this year. I want to win the title. I'm going to go ahead and trade Carlos Correa. Um, and those kind of things happen. But to me, no prospect is immovable. In my NL league, I'm kind of on the fence because I have Greg Polanco. And I, I, I see a potential for me to finish in the money. But I could also do better for the next three years. I, I could trade Polanco right now and get a couple of guys that will push me into the money this year. 
but it would hurt. It would just push me into the the fourth place spot, which is ten percent of the pot. So I'm like, okay, do I? And that's basically my league fees. Do I make the trade to recoup my league fees, or do I see what I have right now and try to earn my way up into that fourth place spot and then be set for the next couple of years because I have Polanco and I have Billy Hamilton. I have guys that are going to help me out like that. Yeah, those are. I mean, exactly. I think. I mean, you just a tons of tons of great points there. Um, and just ultimately, that's yeah, there's there is no right answer to how do you reconcile that, and because it's you know keeper league rules and all that stuff, they're gonna they're gonna affect every little thing affects it can affect a decision. I shouldn't say it definitely affects it can affect that decision, but uh, ultimately it's kind of just experience is gonna be a better teacher than anything, um, and uh, I mean you certainly uh, don't be afraid to give up something to get something, uh, because as long as you do your homework, you're gonna you, you're gonna get something too. So. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid, but at the same time, uh, you know, as long as you're, as long as you make sound evaluations, uh, and if you don't, then you'll know, and then you can, you know, that for next time, what you did wrong. A couple of situations I want to touch on very briefly, uh, just because, well, at least one before we get out of here is that uh, I want to get Jason's take on the t- the latest. Uh, arrangement of the Tampa Bay outfield with Kevin <laughs> Kevin Kiermaier or whatever, Brandon Geyer. I mean, these guys are kind of hitting out of their minds, uh, playing a decent outfield as well. But uh, I mean, this is not the yeah, this is this was not the race starting outfield coming into the season by nope. any means. It's going to be for the next uh, <laughs> next month. Will Myers is not due back till sometime in August, right? And uh, you know, David DeJesus may have lost himself some time uh, now that he's out. It, assuming that these guys can keep this kind of performance up, but what do you make of Kevin Kier- actually, you know, Kiermaier's, I guess, kind of falling off here. But, uh, I mean, and he's n- nothing profiled as any, you know, he's nothing special. No. But. Yeah, the power the power is surprising. I mean, he's got seven or eight bombs now. That is uh, surprising. I never really saw that in his profile. But he is, I mean, he's a slash and dash kind of guy. When he hits the ball, he comes, he's sprinting right out of the box. And he can bunt, he can spray the ball around. He's got an unorthodox swing, but it works for him. And if you make a mistake and he can get wood on it, he can hit it out of the park as he's shown. He's, he is, he's learning his ways around the base pass. I mean, for a guy that has his speed, he really hasn't done that well on, on the base pass. Uh, he's just trying to, to learn and to moves and stuff on pitchers. He, he is aggressive. He'll make that turn to first and third. He'll make that, you know, easily score on a single uh, while on second base, those types of things. He's earned the right to play in that lineup every day because he's a defensive value. I mean, he is a Madden considers him one of the five best outfielders in the game. I mean, he's really a, a big fan of the way this kid plays. So unless the matchup is God awful, that kid's going to be in the lineup every day. Can't same can't be said for Geyer. I mean, with Geyer, typically it's he hits lefties well and struggles against righties. Uh, he does have problems laying off the breaking ball low and away. It's something that's always been a problem for him. Uh, but he's uh, he look he looks better at the plate. Doesn't look as lost as he's done. And same kind of thing. Uh, Logan Forsythe has been really been hitting well over the last month. Madden kept preaching to people, hey. Please, do, we're not giving up on this guy. I mean, he was hitting a buck, buck seventy, but we're talking about a guy that was hitting a buck seventy with a two ten BABIP and a twenty percent line drive rate. That's hard to do. I mean, you've got to hit a lot of balls right at people. And since you know, since Madden uh, late May said, "Look, this guy's got it. We're going to stick with him." He's hitting three twenty. I mean, he's slugging four eighty, getting on base good, and he's made some changes. My friend Tommy Ransell over at theprocessreport.net wrote the stuff up. You may want to go take a look at that uh, while you're listening to the show here. But you know, he's, no, no, he's made those after changes. After the show. After the show. After the show. Either way. <laughs> but he's made some changes, and he's hitting the ball well. So now, if you coincidentally. 
since I've left Florida, the Rays are starting to hit. When I was there, they didn't hit anything. I leave and they start hitting. Go figure. <laughs> I'm taking this a little personally. Yeah, but it's a couple of guys like that. So if you want me to pick one of those, I'm Kiermaier all day long. Uh, he's got some talent. He can help you uh, score some runs. He can help you stolen base. And he's going to hit for average because that speed, if it's a three hopper the other way, he's going to beat that throw to first base. And that's interesting. I think uh, to two players, and I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear that because Eno picked up Geyer this past weekend in tout, and I don't know if Kiermaier was available or not. But uh, I was like, man, I kind of hope – oh, I guess I shouldn't say I hope it doesn't work out because he's he's actually below me, and, and the two of us are trying to scrap back into uh, relevance. <laughs> but uh, I was yeah, like, I've got oh, five guys on a DL and AL tout. Yeah. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. Yeah, I, have, I think I have four <laughs> right now. So, But, uh, I mean, it's not like I was doing well before those guys hit the DL, so I'm not going to – get into that but uh, i'm glad you brought up Forsyth too because there's a guy i thought about bringing up because now that uh, uh <clears throat> now that you know escobar hit the dl and this i mean it was a chance for Forsyth to play uh, and that's who they wanted to go with i mean i don't think there was really any question but um they they you know they've moved ben zobras to shortstop Forsyth becomes the second baseman do you foresee the possibility that this results in more long-term playing time for Forsyth? Yeah, they're going to play the hot hand. Uh, they like his defense. Uh, the bat is playing very well right now. They've used him at DH a time or two, so they're going to play this hot hand. And he can play, you know, he can play the outfield. He can play second base. He can even in a pinch play some third base if Longoria would would uh, take a day off, uh, kind of thing there. But yeah, they're going to play him, and he's earned the playing time right now. It's when you look at the way the lineup's constructed, they really don't have that many other options. They just called up uh, Cole Figueroa today, but you know that's somebody who's, who may play if it's a really tough righty matchup uh, and let Figueroa play second base rather than uh, rather than Forsythe. But Zobrist, uh, if if he doesn't get traded because he's a trade candidate himself, if he doesn't get moved, uh, there's a possibility for him to be there. Okay, and that's that's Zobrist is exactly what I was going to ask. Is it possible that Forsythe is the new Zobrist? Um, Maybe minus the fact that I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think that Forsyth can play shortstop or at least not play it no. very well. But no. uh, second base, uh, either I think he can play either either corner outfield spot. I think um, in a pinch, just barely. I mean, left field, he could play some first base if Loney would need a day out. You know, those kind of things. So he does have some flexibility. And I believe and they can move him around. I believe he started when he was with the Padres. I believe he was a third base prospect, so he can play Correct. there. So. I mean, it's it's interesting. And Zobrist is, I mean, he has two options, two option years. Uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, just one oh, option just one, year. One. This was an option yeah. year. So, yep. I mean, we've seen a bit of decline in his performance overall. I mean, he's been hot lately, but you know, we, uh, there's there's been some allusions to the fact that this is not quite the player we all got to know and love as, as fantasy owners go and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's, you know, he becomes a, you know, less than $1 million version Ben Zobris to be in an interesting situation. It's a guy to keep an eye on in the long term, uh, at least in deeper leagues, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, an item to note, since Jason did note the power, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer most home runs in the season is six in 571 plate appearances combined in 2013 between the Rays AA and AAA affiliates, and he has seven home runs already in 131 appearances plate appearances so do not count on the power i mean that's incredible to have uh, set a career high in home runs at the major league level and in about one quarter of the plate appearances and they haven't really been cheapies either that's the thing (laughs) they've been you know a couple i think one or two have been fence scrapers but they've been rather well-struck baseballs so and maybe the rate i mean the Rays just have they have 
I think it's, I don't think there's any way to look at it except it's magic. Honestly, they have magic. But yeah, <laughs> it took it took a while for that magic to show up this year. At least they're playing respectable baseball now. It's not so uh, painful to watch them play. It is. It is. Um, just uh, before we go, couple. Of, <laughs> I want to get your take. What do you think of the the Padres' uh, extension, two years, thirteen million dollars for Seth Smith? Seems like kind of a strange deal. I mean, it's not a real expensive one, but it seems kind of a strange commitment to make. It's like it strikes me as even less. Uh, less useful than the Houston Street extension of, I want to say, last year or the year before. Any thoughts on that? It's clearly a guy they wanted. Uh, when, they, when they made the trade of Gregerson to get Smith uh, from Oakland, it's clearly a guy they targeted, and they they value him. I think they're paying you – know, they're obviously paying for the hot start that Smith got off to, and when you consider the ballpark, how, how sustainable it is. I've always liked Smith as long as he doesn't face lefties, uh, but that's you know they're, they're paying a pretty decent price for a guy that's a, that's a 70% player as far as a, a platoon split in a perfect world. I know he's hitting lefties a tad better this year, but you look at the long-term history, and it's just not there. Yeah, yeah I think it's it just seems like kind of a, a strange guy to make a commitment to. Um Simply because, I mean, you don't know where you're going to be in two years. Why make it? I guess it's like you, you lock up a guy who you might be able to trade down the road because I don't see this as a – he's not like he's not an essential piece to contention, I guess. I think this – like that's the move of a contender or a move of a team of a rich team or something like that to me. Kind of another strange one. Um, just before we do go, I want to talk about a few guys who are on their way back uh, or at least mention them. Nolan Arenado back in lineups today, finally, should, or at least he'll be activated, expected to be on Thursday. Broken finger. Um, that results in loss of playing time, sounds like, for Josh Rutledge. I'm, I'm assuming, um, which is kind of a disappointment to folks, been getting qu- chat questions. When is he going to get to play more? Look, the Rockies love DJ LeMahieu's defense. I can't tell you anything else besides that. Uh, it sucks. I would like to see Rutledge get the playing time, but uh, it's a shame. Brandon Belt. Well, it's, it's defense, and, and Rutledge doesn't play it well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's – I mean, it's it's not the it's not the ideal situation for fantasy owners, but uh, we need a, a clear need to arise. It's um, You're in a situation where if you own Rutledge and you're in a very deep league, you're in luck when that situation arises where they need to put him in on a regular basis. Um, for otherwise, he's probably going to be on free agent wires. When he comes in the playing time, there's going to be a bit of a relative mad scramble to see who can get him first. Yeah. <clears throat> Brandon Belt back, like I said, this Friday, fractured thumb. It's about time we get to see him back in. Doesn't really affect anybody. Tyra Coleman probably lose the playing time. But uh, it's nice to have him back. Uh, David Wright, latest we've heard is that he was you know, supposed to be out until at least Friday. That's not a pretty situation, and maybe we get some explanation for why he's performed poorly. Anything else concerning you about David Wright? Uh, no, not really. I mean, just the fact I, I honestly thought he was going to be a top 30 player this year, and I haven't checked his most recent values, but I know about all the tweets that I get from people complaining about him. I can't imagine he's in the top 30. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's in the top – I'm not sure if he's in the top 230, to be honest. I mean, the numbers are very pedestrian uh, with uh, – 260 ish or 270 batting average, maybe seven home runs, a handful of stolen bases. Just 
not by any means what we expected. I thought again, I thought similarly. I thought this was going to be huge here for Wright. So very yeah. I mean, batting average is down. The on base percentage is way down. That's that's concerning. And the fact that since he's not hitting the ball well, people they're they're not pitching around him as much. His walk rate's down almost four full percentage points from last year. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably a good indication of that. Very much so. Uh, for the Seattle Mariners, Corey Hart, Justin Smoke, they will be on their way back from some uh, soft tissue injuries uh, sometime in the next week or so, I think is a good possibility. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get to see what interesting decisions the Mariners make about their outfield slash first base slash DH position. Logan Morrison mm-hmm. actually started to hit. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out a bit, uh, especially, you know, for instance, James Jones, a bit of a revelation, stolen bases, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes down. Agreed. I'm, I'm enjoying Jones. I, I picked, he's one of those other guys I picked up out of necessity, uh, and he's helped me out. Yeah, I'm jealous because I almost picked him up in, in tout, and I did kind of need stolen bases, and I thought, eh, this isn't going to, you know, the playing time is going to be there, and these guys were hurt. And I think that that was shortly before smoking it up being on the, going on the yeah, TL as well. So. I was like, oh, this probably isn't going to last. But I was wrong. Uh, and finally, uh, Giovanni Soto. This, no no reason to get all, uh, scary excited or anything like that. But he's supposed to begin a rehab assignment on Friday. And uh, the Rangers have been searching for anything as an answer as far as catching production. And also calling games and things like that. Although Robinson Torino has done a decent job of that, I think, uh, defensively and, and, and things like that. But... Uh, Soto is actually a guy that they'd hope to count on fairly regularly this year uh, and, and liked a lot about him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes off a knee injury and performs. I think that's I think really there's the likelihood of any decent fantasy production is not great. But I know I could say with uh, with Hannigan, when he had his leg injury, he was hitting well. And since he's come back from that, he hasn't. OK. And this is definitely a, a much bigger thing. <laughs> So uh, it was some serious preseason use. I think it happened just uh, maybe within a week of opening day. So, But it's somebody to keep an eye on because obviously if uh, everything checks out okay and uh, it's, it's not, it's, Texas is not necessarily going to consider itself a contender or anything like that because Giovanni Soto is back. But it's a good ballpark and still a decent lineup. That's going to do it for this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. Jason, it was awesome to have you back on the air. I can't tell you how much it was. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I know it's been a few weeks, but boxes upon boxes. It just the the final packing in Orlando, then getting up here. It's, it, it's it was a long process, and it was just wouldn't have been uh, I wouldn't have been myself if I had to sit there and try to break down and say, okay, now let's talk baseball because it was uh, it was quite a stressful process. My first uh, state to state move as an adult. I've done a lot of moves around the around Orlando, and it was you know when you when you can pay your friends in beer and pizza, moves easy. When you <laughs> when all of a sudden you look at a mover and you're like, wait, you don't take beer and pizza? How much do I have to pay you? Oh crap! Uh, it's it's a bit of a culture shock, but we got through it. We're in here, and we'll make it work. That's great. That's great. It's awesome to hear. I think all our listeners are going to cut you some slack, or if they don't, they have somebody to talk to. And again, it's it's great. I'm a man. I'm 41. <laughs> Come to me. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Again, it's, it's it's great to have you back. We look forward to talking and talking more baseball with Jason down the road, and for getting some uh, getting some great insight. And before we go, I just want to wish everybody a safe and happy Fourth of July. 
Yeah, stay away from the fireworks. Uh, you let professionals take care of them. Don't blow any fingers off. You need those. And don't forget, cabs are usually free in your city. So if you're going to be out drinking, call a free cab, please. <laughs> Some excellent advice. Yes, everybody have a great Independence Day. Thank you.